This podcast is brought to you by Ignite Me. Ignite Me is a boutique fitness studio in Solana Beach, California. Aerial yoga, group fitness at its best. Go to www.igniteme.com to sign up for your guest pass. This is The Meat Project, weekly discussions with leaders in the wellness community. Visit us online at themeatproject.life. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are very excited coming to you live from Encinitas. We are sitting with Dr. Dave Jenkins, founder of SurfAid and an all-around just awesome guy. I had the pleasure of meeting him yesterday at Organic SEO. Julian and the crew down there brought him in for a little seminar, a little presentation, and it just gave me a really brief um, outlook on what he's doing, the magical work that SurfAid has been doing for the past 15 or so years. His bio, Dr. Dave, is a a surfer, a doctor, a teacher, and an expert on optimal health, anti-aging. He's achieved much in his time, but he's probably best known as the founder of SurfAid, the international aid organization that brings crucial community development and emergency response and preparedness assistance to underprivileged and isolated communities off the west coast of Sumatra, Indonesia. So just diving right into it, SurfAid is something that I've known about, but really in the past couple days really dove into and really educated myself on what they're doing, their values. Um, A quick quote directly from their website that I really like is, SurfAid embodies the positive values inherent in surfing, namely individualism, courage, dynamism, adaptability, and seeks to harness these attributes in implementing these projects with measurable results, which I think is a really key thing. Um, One of the things that I really took away from your presentation, Dr. Dave, was the ability to not only do this type of work, but have these measurable results to really show people, hey, we're not just out you know, doing good things just because it makes us feel good, but we're actually having a measurable impact. And it brings us to the, the term that, that you've showed me, which is high return philanthropy. So Dave, welcome. Let's talk about that a little bit. Morning, Carlos. Yeah, we're always glad to talk about something that I'm rather obsessed and passionate yeah, about. That's good. <laughs> so high return philanthropy is a really a new concept in aid work you know the old model of aid has not really delivered real high return not cost efficiencies because it's if you look it up aid sort of came from post-colonialism as it was a way of staying influential in a community in africa or wherever right and it wasn't focused on results for dollar spend so there is a huge opportunity in this space, and a lot of people have been rightly critical of aid. A lot of money has been wasted. What was it focused on previously, or what would some of these other maybe less focused? Well, with political motivation. Right. For example, um, if you look at what USAID have done mm-hmm. in the past, um, America and you know most countries actually have – done big infrastructure contracts, but within the contract, let's say it's a, a developing country, we'll do this big infrastructure contract, but you've got to use our companies. Sure. Now, that is highly questionable when you ask the question, what is the biggest return? The second issue is, will it be transformational? Will the people that you're trying to help be truly empowered to continue the work themselves? And will that continue? And will it pass on through generations? Infrastructure work. You build a hospital. We all need hospitals. But you've got to keep funding that. Sure. And it'll break down. And, you know, whereas when we looked at the question, what is the highest return for our donor? It turns out it's the best thing for the people. Sure. It turns out that you can, by, by being very smart 
and creating an eloquent model with which aligns all the different um, tasks and activities, you can choose just a, a handful of behaviors, such as a clean birth, exclusive breastfeeding, washing your hands, giving the wild spinach that's all around them anyway, and the coconut cream that's above their heads and by the millions, using local resources that if they can change some of their behaviors, that they will have fit, healthy children that don't die, who have do better at school, that will boost their economy. Mm-hmm. Here's one example. Controlling malaria with mosquito nets, if you just did that in a malaria area like the Mentawai where we work, you'll see the, the economic, economic outputs improve by 50% over 10 years without doing anything about the economy. Just giving them some mosquito nets. Improving productivity sure. through being having energy, having health, dramatic improvements. and Having healthy know, families. Yeah. And we've seen this in Tanzania, actually, that mm-hmm. their uh, GDP has been going up, and they've had a very good malaria program. And, uh, you know, the government's been involved, and you'll, you, you talk to people who work in Tanzania who say, they've controlled malaria, and things are really looking much more positive. Yeah. So SurfAid's really focused on... Not on the traditional aid model. It's a new aid model. Mm -hmm. And the other opportunity we saw in the space when we started was that there's no model for really remote areas. You know, the the child mortality rate, there used to be around 20 million children under the age of five dying every year in the world. Not so long ago. It's down to eight. There's been great progress. But in the remote areas where we work, they're still very high. So... You know, there isn't a model to made it work in remote areas, and that's our task. And that's your guys' niche, basically. That's right? our niche. I mean, they, there's the saying, the aid stops where the road stops. Right. Well, our programs start where the, where the road. road stops. Awesome. So you come cool. with me, and you'll be tramping through bush to get to one of our villages. That is so awesome. <laughs> um, for those of you not familiar with, with Dr. Dave and his story, you can go to TEDx. Um, if you just want to Google search uh, Dr. Dave TEDx is a really awesome presentation there. I was fortunate enough to see it live yesterday and then also kind of rewatch it last night. And there's some just really, really awesome values there. The history, the story of SurfAid. Um, real briefly, I really, really think it's a powerful story. The, the, the story about you surfing and looking onto the shore and seeing the kids. Tell us that story briefly and, and just that trip to the island and then walking to the village. Well, I just went to the Mintawes as, you know, it's the Disneyland of surfing. Yeah. You know, all my friends had been, everyone was raving about it. I'd seen the videos, the posters, the pictures. Yeah. And couldn't wait to go. Yeah. And I was working in Singapore at the time, so it wasn't far away, so I had an opportunity to go. And uh, just went to Lance's Right, one of the best waves on the planet. Just this machine barrel. All day long, right? Crazy. Oh. And, yeah, scored some of the best waves of my life and was on the boat, actually, this luxury charter boat. It's the only way to get there, really. And just saw the kids on the beach. And um, and they were just sitting there watching? Yeah, just watching, running around. I didn't realize that there was a village there. It was just jungle. I thought yeah. it was beach and jungle. But um, saw the kids and said to the uh, one of the local crew, who's a translator, spoke English, said, hey, can you come with me and let's go and – check out the village and ask, just get to know them and say hi. What did he say? Was he really surprised that you wanted to do that? <laughs> yeah, it's not, it wasn't normal for was the it? surfers to go on land. Yeah. 
Um, so, but uh, you know, he's from there, and he uh, want, you know he liked it. He liked yeah. the idea that we just wanted to get to know. At the time, did he know hi. you were a doctor? Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah, so um, we just wandered along the little track to the village and saw the graveyard on the right-hand side, and you know, I'll remember that till I die. It was just this, oh, um, there's a whole bunch of small graves there, So, and you know, a lot of different sizes. Did some you say very, more than half? Yeah. Yeah. And some very fresh. Wow. And so I realized that this sort of paradise that it looked like from the boat wasn't paradise for our hosts. Mm-hmm. These, are, these are their waves. This is their sea, their land. And so I started asking questions about, hey, what's going on here? I used the translator. And, and um, then the chief found out I was, I was a doctor in town and said I was the first one to ever arrive in their village. Ever? Ever. Wow. And, and this is 1999? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that happened again too, yeah. actually. Um, we went on some of our villages. People would say you're the second white person we've ever seen. Wow. And this is western doctor right they have their shamans and their healers yes yeah but this is the first yes. western trained doctor to approach the yes to come or in. even indonesian western trained wow. kind of doctor yes so um it's pretty isolated and so i ended up running a clinic he said could you look we've got some sick people here and just did a spontaneous clinic and it really you know as a physician i've come i'm exposed to suffering a lot yeah but i'd never really been exposed to the real, the sad situation I found was all these children were just really wasted and lacking energy. I mean, you, we love children because they're running around with laughing with energy, right? Yeah. Not these kids. Some of them were okay. I don't, I don't want to paint the wrong picture, but sure. the ones that were brought to the, to the um, more than clinic, normal were, were not. And you know, I could feel their spleens that they had. You know, when you get recurrent malaria, you you get a big spleen. You can feel it. Mm-hmm. And uh, clearly they were suffering from recurrent malaria. And diarrhea as well was another one. That sort of recurrent diarrhea will really so chew up all your waste, chew up all your energy. Constantly make you dehydrated, right? Yeah. And it was just so sad to see these beautiful children. Um, and I had a woman brought to me in a wheelbarrow and she was literally semi-conscious. She died that night. So it was just the intensity of the situation and the, and the sadness of the situation and the contrast to... My luxury charter boat, right. which was anchored 100 meters away. Right. Um, and the kind of you know experience that surfers were having, coming here, having the time of their life, yeah. fulfilling their surfing dreams. Yeah. And yeah, it was away. a shock. Yeah. It was a real shock. So it really started me thinking about what we could do and what we should do. So you spent the next two years, basically, from what I, what I learned, just – Getting everything together, going through the process of starting a nonprofit in New Zealand. Yeah. Um, the, the story of, of kind of bribing all your mates to come with beer and, and crayfish is a great one. Um, <laughs> and then something happened, which I, which I do want to touch on. Um, you talk about your first trip and the first kind of adventure with this new organization and how really, for lack of a better way to put it, it wasn't a real success. And uh, there's a, there's a, a good picture that you show in your presentation of, of one of the one of the villagers using the mosquito nets that you guys have provided as a as a fishing net, yeah. and kind of your I'll never forget yesterday you're telling you almost were in tears and you felt like you let everyone down and all your donors, um, and it really comes down to not letting failure stand in the way. And yeah. you're you're go ahead and tell us that Winston Churchill quote that you used. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, Winston Churchill was famous for many quotes, but um, one of them was, you know, um, success is going from failure to failure without losing enthusiasm. Right. 
And obviously, the key thing here is to learn. And we now see things, we don't make those kind of mistakes anymore, but there's always something to learn. Sure. And you have to put in place systems of, of checking, you know, kicking the tires, and kick them hard, and don't be afraid of making mistakes. Right. Um, you know, because we're in the situation where we're having to design a model. It doesn't exist. We can't pull this off the shelf. Right. And so making, you're going to have to test theories. You're going to have to, we're constantly trying to strive and look for ways to get the community to rise up, to motivate them, to take control of the situation themselves. So we have to try different things. And some things are not going to work. Some things are not going to work. And some things will partly work. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so, yeah, we, we're always looking. We're always innovating. And awesome. I think it's part of that whole philosophy. You have to have a culture within your whole organization that's unafraid to try things and seize as opportunity to learn. That's beautiful. Independent of SurfAid, you know, I know one of the things that, that I really liked about your story is, is what happened to you a couple years into the process. Um, most importantly, your mindset change. You talk mm. about the mindset required to start something like this, the perseverance, the passion, the, the, the almost blinders that you have where you can't even, you know, you're just so laser focused on something and how that mindset may not be the correct, correct mindset to actually grow and develop the business. That's right. Let's touch on that a little bit. And, um, what did you learn through that process? You talked about coaching and mentorship. Yes. I learned I had a lot to learn. Yeah. <laughs> Which is tough for a, a leader and an entrepreneur to, to uh, kind of swallow sometimes. Yeah, I had to let go. Yeah. Um, and then things, then start, things started to flow. And it was, and it was let tremendous. go of what? Let go, let control um, one thing. And let go of like trying to manage and own and make all the decisions myself. Um, and have it my way kind of thing. Um, because it had to be my way at the beginning. Right. Um, you know, I always remember there was a time when I had to go back to work as a physician and do locums just to put food on my own table. Right. Um, because the cash flow was so bad. And in the, in and surfing. The, yeah, in yeah. surfing. And the board said, you know, start to say, well, sh- should we fold? Yeah. That was the option. And I said, I remember, <laughs> I just remember. I don't honestly know where this came from. I mean... This just determination welled up, and it's to do with a breaking of your own deepest held values. And this thing was just wrong, that there were surfers coming here and children dying 100 meters away. So this thing just welled up in me and said, no, we are not folding. If it's just me in a village with a medical bag until we, that so be it. And, and really, I think for people starting businesses and starting nonprofits, I remember the board, the look on their face when I said that to them. They Say what? They they said we are not folding. They rallied again, you know, and they dug deeper themselves. Right. And that's that's the mindset of a founder, and and that's the mindset of someone who has to inspire others to dig deeper. But when it came to we had twenty five people, and then we had over a hundred when we started. We grew so quickly, which happened really rapid. Or you said, really rapid yeah. growth around the tsunami time. You know, it was obvious that I'm not a great, I, I've done it, but I'm not the best manager. Sure. Okay, so I'm, I, I, got, I'm, I link dots, I create, I do a whole bunch of other things, but 
I'm not the world's best focused manager. I'm not great on spreadsheets, um, yeah. that kind of thing. So, you know, we started to clash with 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 my kind of mindset and the mindset that was needed to. So there was actually, like leadership clashing at the absolutely. top. Absolutely, yeah. and so you know, fortunately, I had uh, made some good choices in inviting some of my best buddies, two two of them who knew me well and knew all my faults, um, to be on the board. And one in particular, who's still one of my best friends, um, he's still mentoring me in a most beautiful way. He just knew how to mentor me, and taught me to sort of pull back, have a look at things, and and just keep the mission at the center. Because if I continue to be belligerent and overly exuberant, it was going to fail. Yeah. And so what we did was we redefined my role. And I took mentorship from him, and I did some personal development. I started meditating and looking at my own health, and um, and that really helped me just pull back and, and not be so stubborn. How old were you during this time? Uh, I would have been 40, 45 to 40, uh, 48, 49. I think that's something that's really important to to just touch on again is, is the fact that you know a lot of people kind of seek for mentorships and these growth opportunities really early in their careers. You know, you hear about, oh, I just graduated college. I'm looking for an internship or I'm trying to find a mentor. Um, and I think especially entrepreneurs, as they grow and develop and get a little older into their 40s and 50s, you know, they, I've found some of them are really not into or not open to personal development, growth and mm. and uh, mentorship. And, and I think it's something, you know, for all people listening at all ages, you know, to just really realize that, you know, especially if you want to grow and you want to have a, a big impact, start with yourself, you know, start with working on yourself, working on the inside, seeing how you're affecting others, seeing how you're working on your business. And I think that's something that that's, that's really powerful. Um, and obviously it, a testament to where surf aids come since then. Yeah. I mean, you know, in my other work with coaching people and in, in ultimate health and high performance, you know, I tell people that if you really want to know, Ask them what their dreams are. If you really want to find out what your biggest obstacles are to you achieving your dreams, go look in the mirror. Go look in the mirror. <laughs> and and I would really encourage people to do that. And and look, if you want to be on your best game, just look at gold medalists. How many of them have got there without a coach? None. They've usually got. Well, they've all got multiple coaches, yeah. right? So, um, you know, you need someone to hold you accountable. You need someone to help you design the path. And um, we have a training system, an accountability buddy system, where we train people to be accountability buddies for each other. Is that with SurfAid or is that with No, in my other, in my other work. But in SurfAid, it's similar. You know, uh, we train our, our staff to be change agents. Change agents, that's right. That's and, um, you know, they, they go through a process where they help the village themselves get organized. Right. And hold each other accountable. You know, these groups of women, they each have set roles within this community health post that meets every month. And they have a system of Jane doesn't turn up, what are we going to do? And we teach them those systems. And they're, they're more or less accountability systems right. if you look at it. Right. Um, and so it's just, it's just about saying, hey, I'm human. Yeah. And I have faults and flaws and difficulties. And when I want to go to change behaviors, I need help. Sure. We all need help. We do. That's true. I want to touch on the change agent thing because that's I think that's a great term and it's something that you helped me learn how unique that is to surfate. Um, one of the quotes directly from the TEDx talk is, you can't and should not do for people something that they can and should do for themselves. Um, 
I remember a story from your presentation yesterday how you sometimes would get to these villages and they would even turn you away because you weren't there just to hand out supplies and hand out stuff, which is what some of the other aid organizations were doing. Um, you guys were there to educate and teach them how to do it on their own. That's right. And, you know, we get back to this aid model, mm -hmm. the old traditional, still the current dominant aid model. Sure is for an aid organization to be given money to spend within a certain time frame. And when you get into post-emergency situations, um, I can remember having some very passionate arguments with some of the aid organizations. I got a bit of a reputation at one stage. Um, but um, They will go unnamed, actually. Yeah, yeah they will go unnamed. <laughs> but um, the problem was, and, and then we, we sort of experienced it ourselves, is you get money and you have to spend it with a certain amount of time frame. And in areas that are so challenging logistically, to do that responsibly becomes very difficult. And right. it turns out the easiest way to do things is to buy stuff and to pay people to build toilets. Right. And it doesn't work because if you've done that without motivating them and helping them to explain why, they're not even going to look after that toilet. It'll just end up – and I literally got a photograph of a toilet and a duck – and the only person using the toilet, it's home to a duck. <laughs> I've literally got that. So, And it's not really the aid organization's fault. It's right. the system it's they're the, in. Right. And so what we, especially in that scenario, if we come along with our model of, of self-determination, self-empowerment, and transformational program mm -hmm. for, for mother and children's health, sometimes if they've just had a disaster, they are not willing, willing or ready for it. Right. And we've walked away. Right. And what we've learned to spend a lot of time in the preliminary stages, really getting the both the village and the government leaders and the government together to understand the philosophy and the power and importance of of the program where they're going to do the work. Right. And. They just start with it, and, the, and they they start to experience it. So we'll often we'll often start in a community with a very provocative thing called community led total sanitation, where instead of going in there and building a toilet, and paying for all the materials and paying for people to do the labour, we'll tell them basically, you know, they've all got diarrhoea a lot of the time. We'll tell them that the reason that they've got diarrhoea, and we'll use the foulest word for it deliberately is that they're eating each other's shit and we'll show them how that happens with flies and where they're defecating around the village and the flies and the chickens and the dogs and bringing the food in and and usually if you calculate over a year they'll eat about a, a little fingernail full of of someone else's shit so it's called um sh you know shame and 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 power and <laughs> walk, walk away it's a community-led citation it's taking on because it's very effective and then we say to them do you want to stop eating shit that's edgy, though, right? That that a lot very of, edgy, yeah, very edgy. You see them laughing. And Turns get, a lot of people off, I'm sure. Well, actually, no. The other organizations outside, maybe. Yeah, there's, yeah. there's. I've heard that at sanitation conferences, there's literally been fisticuffs over the old model versus this new model. But the new model will win because it's cost effective and it's true community development. Right. And, we, and so we'll start with that. But what will what? A benefit, collateral benefit is you'll find out who the natural leaders are in the community. It could be the shy person you never expected, and you say to them, who's going to build the first toilet? And this hand will come up, and they'll come up, and they'll accountability again. In front of the village, they'll sign their name, date when they'll start building the toilet. We help them with the design and the technical issues. but So that's an, an example which is complete opposite 
to turning up in a village with a lot of money to spend dropping it and dropping it in. So yeah, we, we spend a lot of time preliminary getting people ready for this kind of work. It's evident that you're extremely passionate about your work and you <laughs> love what you do, and, and, and I love that. I want to switch talks a little bit um, and focus a little bit more on your personal values and goals, and obviously I'm sure those relate a lot to SurfAid, but um, you know, I, a couple of things that I really took from your presentation was the power of listening and learning from the people you're working with. Um, there's the picture that you have with the, with the shaman, and like, this guy, the smile on his face is infectious. Yeah. You know, he's just just a really, really happy guy. And one of the things you talked about is how happy all those people were. Yeah. Uh, tell us about that a little bit and what you learned from, from those people. Well, these are the people who are up in the forest. Just 10% of the Mentawai people still live as they did 1,000 years ago. With, I mean, they've actually got a few things now. Sure. Um, they might have a transistor or a, or a, or a um, you know, a watch. Actually, a watch has become – the, the shaman love the watches. It's really? become highly symbolic. None of them work. But they wear them. They just wear <laughs> so, but yeah, I'm. I mean, I've been up there many times. I've slept up there, and I and I've. Everyone who goes there notices it. There's a state of being that is so opposite to anxious and neurotic. It's just the lack of anxiety. It's the lack of neuroticism. They're not overly concerned, and these are people who have serious challenges every day every day every day yeah and um you know they live in mud it's just mud and crazy forest and they've got to forage for food and hunt for food and and all kinds of stuff everywhere oh yeah it's hot really hot and sweaty and humid and but um they have an ease of being which is just beautiful and and like i say it's not so much what we could teach them but what they could teach us right that's awesome Let's talk about uh, being a parent. I know you're a, you're a father of two beautiful girls, right? Yeah. That's correct. Um, I'm a granddad now. You're a granddad now. Congratulations. Yeah. Wow. How's that feel? It's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, but you know, they, they've got all the opportunity in the world there in London. I'm a Skype granddad. Yeah. I have met my grandchild several times, but um, you know, I, I see more of them on Skype than anything else. My father tells me he's really excited about being a granddad because it's you get all the, the positives and all the good times about being a parent, but you don't have to deal with all the, all the nonsense, diapers and all that stuff. Just give, it back, give it back to the parents. Oh, no. My daughter makes sure she, uh, we do some babysitting. That includes diaper changing. <laughs> diaper changing. But my uh, grandson's been on a surfboard, five months of age. Awesome. <laughs> Tell us about that. Tell us about your outlook on parenting. Um, I know there was an there was a, a interesting quote from your, from your presentation yesterday, how as your kids got older, you know, you realized that you were struggling with this work-life balance and, yeah. and, and how much time you're investing in your passion, your company, your, your mission, really, and whether or not your, your family or how they were responding to that or, react, or being affected by that, maybe. Yeah, I mean, when I started SurfAid, um, at the time, my youngest daughter was, was living with me. I was separated, mm-hmm. but she was living with me in Singapore going to school. Um, and so it was, uh, it, it was a big decision to make. So you're basically a single dad raising a, a girl in Singapore. Well, no, their mother had been looking after them before that as well. Okay. And so we had shared custody, but um, their mother had been mainly looking after them. And so I just took this opportunity to spend some time with my older daughter awesome. and, and, and be in Singapore with her. So unfortunately, it did mean that that ended. And um, you know, she had one year left of school and then went to university. So it was, you know, they were older when mm-hmm. it started, but I, I definitely didn't spend as much time with my children as I could have done 
had I not taken on surfate, had I just been had a normal job or sure. kept doing what I had, what you I just been a regular doctor, right? Yeah, <laughs> I would have had more opportunities to see my family for sure. So there was a cost involved, but I, I've always realized that children teach you so much, and one of the things they teach you is, don't bullshit to me. I don't care what you say so much. I care what you do. And that's what they see, what their parents do, they how they act doing, yeah. and their values. And so I knew that this would be, um, you know, as a parent, this would be a legacy I would leave for my children sure. uh, as, as what is really important in, in life is to follow your values. And what do you consider as your current legacy when you, if you had to put it in a sentence or a paragraph, um, and how does that tie into your values? Well, I think um, my legacy was I didn't walk away from a situation that needed some attention and that where people were suffering and there was something that could be done about it. Yeah. Mm. That's uh, one of the most powerful and valuable, not only legacies, but just all around lessons that I've heard in a while. Let's switch our focus just a little bit. I want to talk about your other work. Um, I know there's drdavejenkins.com. You told me another website. What was that other website? Oh, themoremodel.com. The More Model. So tell us a little bit about that. Tell us about your opinion of optimal health um, and kind of your story through that. On your website, the drdavejenkins.com, there's a, an interesting story, if you will, about kind of what you were going through in your mid-40s, starting SurfAid, realizing that you were dealing with what I think a lot of Westerners deal with in that time of their life where they're mm. overworked in a sense and, and their health is suffering for it. Um, yeah. and I think we're at a play, we're at a point in time where I think you even say, you know, that that's people almost accept that as the norm. They're like, Oh, this mm. is how I'm supposed to feel. I'm getting older. Mm. You know, I'm supposed to be a little overweight. Everything's supposed to hurt. Um, and I think you found and you proved that, that that's just not true. No, it's not true at all. Um, and I've become fascinated because of my experience at SurfAid where we were doing emergencies. We did five emergencies. You know, it's the, it's the ring of fire with all these earthquakes. And, yeah. And it's just, you know, you work so hard and there's so much stress. There's right. people's lives at stake. Right. And you've got to get it right. And, you know, the organization grew so fast that we were doing huge hours um, – we would be all kind of stimulated at the end of the day, and I, you know, I'd have drink beer to get to sleep, just to turn your mind off. Yeah, yeah. and then we were we we didn't take care of our diet, so we were just eating rice and fried food and crap. And yeah, I put on a lot of weight, and I remember going for a checkup, and I had my my cholesterol was through the roof, my blood pressure was high, um, I felt awful. I was achy, I was inflamed, right? So, and it wasn't until um, I met my current partner, Mickey, who, I mean, just before that, I'd started to sort of try to address it, but, um, you know, she acted like a coach for me and she bought me, actually, she, the book she bought me that, she bought me The Four Hour Body by Tim Ferriss. The Four Hour Body? Yeah. yeah. And I remember reading this thing going, Oh my God, I'm a doctor. I didn't know half of this. The science, I knew about malaria sure. and community development, but the science had passed me by. <laughs> and I was on other things. I just thought, whoa. And I started doing a few of those things that he suggested. And what, what was 
really interesting was um, cold thermogenesis because we were in the winter at the time. And um, so I would start surfing without a wetsuit and um, shivering. I got, into, <laughs> I got into shivering. I got fascinated by the psychological state it puts you in. Right. So Mickey, my partner, we'd go down for a surf and she would surf in a wetsuit and I'd go out. If the surf wasn't any good, I'd just go out until I started shivering. <laughs> And then I found that I came on, while she's carried on surfing, I would come onto the beach and start working out. And there's this extra motivation. To warm up. To warm up. Wow. Your body is just, you are pushing yourself. And, um, and then she's a nutritionist, uh-huh. and so she's my partner in the new business. So um, we started like eating broccoli and hummus for breakfast, <laughs> um, which was kind of new for me. And, um, and just looking at the diet and then... And getting some more sleep, you know, people don't, people think that six hours is the new norm. It's not. Yeah. And the quality of the sleep, we were designed over two million years to sort of slumber around the fire at night and go to sleep at dark and wake up with the light. Now, it turns out the the new science is proving time and time again, that is the way we should be living. And yet, when I do talks, um, I just did a couple of sort of lunch and learns at some companies and I'd say how many of you check your email before you go to bed all the hand there was all the hands went up twice not one person does the right thing which is turn off your screens don't watch the telly for at least an hour if you have if you're having trouble sleeping two hours and you know put on your yellow I have a yellow orange headlight now I'll read a book or I'll have a bath, or I'll do some stretches, or I'll play my piano, or I'll meditate before sleep. Now. Everything except for screen time. Everything other than screen time, because it turns off your natural melatonin production, the blue light. Now, everyone's doing it. Everyone. And, you know, um, poor sleep costs American companies around $70 billion every $70 year. $70 billion. Yeah, dollars. yeah. That's, just an, that's just the measurable stuff. There's a whole lot of collateral things that go on, like poor sleep. I just read a study yesterday. Poor sleep redu- increases uh, colds and flus 400%. Wow. Which is the number one cause of absenteeism. Cold and sleep. Uh, colds and flus. Uh, yeah, viral right. illnesses. Right. And then you've got the other issue of vitamin D. Right. And so people are, uh, we now realize the old vitamin D levels are too low. If you want optimal health, you've got to get your vitamin D right up to the sort of 50 level. Right. 50 There's a vitamin D, vitamin D receptor on every cell in the body. Wow. And it locks in and then good thing, and it turns on good DNA changes in, in the cellular level. And yeah, so DNA, vitamin D deficiencies linked to Alzheimer's disease. Um, Heart disease, 20 cancers now associated with low vitamin D levels. And if I'm not mistaken, the recommended value for vitamin D is right around 20 or 30, right? It's not Thir- around the 30 level. 30, but right. Yeah, um, you know, it used to be 15. When I was right. in medical school, it was like 15 to prevent rickets. Wow. But so the science is coming on, but people aren't ever aware of this. People, people have no idea. And well, that's our uh, jobs. Yeah, so, so they really we've got to think about how we were designed over two million years and go right. back. We've got to, you know, we call it biohacking. We've got to right. hack back. Hack back, yeah. Uh, and, and design our lives so that we can just tap our, our optimal physiology and our optimal physiological states. Right. That was something we briefly spoke about yesterday and something that in my work I experience a lot of. You know, I get, I get up really early. I'm probably not the best person to be talking about getting a lot of sleep, especially with a newborn around. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I have a lot of clients that, 
really don't focus enough on sleep. And, you know, the three things that you and I spoke of briefly yesterday that, you know, it's sleep, nutrition, and movement. Yes. You know, and those are the three things that... I would add meditation. Meditation. There you go. So mental health and mental stability. If you look at the science of longevity Mm -hmm. and optimal health, um, meditation and stress management and mindfulness is right up there as important as Asleep. I'll go out on a limb here and say it's as important as nutrition. I like that. I like that. And the point I was getting at is that most people spend, I would say 80% of their time focusing on the one thing, which is the movement, which workout yeah. class do I go to? Yeah. Which trainer am I going to hire? How many exercises am I going to do today? How many hours am I going to spend in the gym? I have people that literally show up at my gym five days a week at five thirty in the morning and are wondering why they're not getting the results. They're working so hard. They're there every day. And it, it's really tough, you know, not being a doctor to tell someone, hey, you need to sleep more. Take a couple of days off. They might be making it worse. If, they're, if they've got high cortisol levels from their job and their lack of sleep and then they're working that much, working that out hard. that much, yeah. I think they could well be making things worse. Exactly. And um, you can't exercise it. yourself well. Yep. Uh, I'm pro-exercise. I've had a workout this morning. Sure. But... Um, you can't, you just can't do that. It won't compensate for a day, a stressful day of sitting on your backside. Mm-hmm. And so, all or science, a poor diet. all science is clear about that. It's all about synergy. Synergy. Yeah. So, get some good sleep. You'll lose weight. Yeah. Um, because your hormone levels will be stabilized. Simple as that. Say it again, Doctor Dave. Get some more sleep. You'll lose weight. Amen to that. Yeah. For all you struggling with <laughs> weight loss. Obviously, the movement, the food is important, but get some freaking sleep already because it's good for you and it's good for all those around you who have to deal with your tired. I mean, bum. don't you know? I noticed that I had a bad sleep yesterday. Sure. Because this tram that goes, train oh, goes man. by, I'm not used to it. My brain's not used to it. It wakes me up. Yeah. And I had only five hours sleep. I was hungry all day yesterday. Yeah. I was a stop eating day. <laughs> I was just hungry. And your body's just trying to deal with that, right? Yeah. yeah. I just, yeah, I want, I want the calories to feed my tired brain. And um, whereas now I'm, I had a good night's sleep last night. I'm fasting. I won't have. I only have two meals today. That's awesome. Um, so yeah, it's very important to get sleep. And if you're not getting sleep, there's a really cool um, way you can measure whether you get. There's different ways of measuring whether you're getting good sleep. But there's there's new tracking devices, sleep trackers, and yeah. sleep trackers. But the other one is your reaction time online. Your um, it's there's a real strong correlation between good sleep and your reaction time and your reaction time and your productivity through the day. Sure. So there's an online, um, I haven't got the website in my brain right now, but if you Googled reaction, online reaction times, you can set up an account and find out your reaction time and then test yourself. Get, your, yeah. get yourself um, your timing when you've had good sleep and then do it when you've had bad sleep. You'll see the big difference. We'll like, put the links in the show notes for that. Um, yeah. That's awesome. Reaction time and how that will affect your productivity throughout the day and throughout Absolutely. the week. Absolutely. Yeah, that's huge. That's huge. Um, Dave, talk to us about your model for optimal health and what that means for you and what that means for your, your clients, your patients, the, the people you're coaching. Well, we had a, I've sort of taken a similar approach to, um, to the surf aid, really, because looking at what was what's the opportunity in this space to really help people sure. with the minimum input? And so what we've done is we've created a model looking around the 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 science, the new science, the com- the sweet spot between the new science and the behaviors of the healthiest cultures and the longest living cultures. Right. And what are they doing? What's science telling us about 
teasing out which of their behaviors is the most, are the most powerful. And so that sweet spot we've called the MORE model, which is M-O-R-E, um, movement, optimizing your health, uh, optimizing your environment. That's really important, your physical and your mental environment. Uh, rest and rejuvenation, and E for the eating and for the supplementation. So it's all about creating that 80-20 rule. You know, yeah. What are the things that you really need to do that uh, gives you the 20% of things you need to do that gives you 80% of the re- response? Because it's often – it puts people off to try and get them to, to do it too quickly. Yeah. I mean, I tell people you can – the new science and biohacking, we can rewire your whole system, but much quicker than it used to take a lifetime to do sure. that. We can do that in one or two years, depending on your system. But give yourself a couple of years to turn it around. Right, it's just, not going to happen overnight. You know, human beings respond to small increments of progress. We don't like loss. We do very badly with a sense of loss. So don't try and reach for the stars immediately don't set yourself up for know failure. where the stars are and understand that's where you're going on Amen. your journey but the best way to get there is small increments of steady measurable sets of progress which comes back to another virtue which is patience you know, yeah i think um people think that they're going to reverse 30 years of lifestyle in two months or yeah. six week workout program and you know it's really about having some patience look at the long haul you know you're not you're not just getting in, in shape so you look good in that bikini this summer. You're getting in shape so that 20, 40 years down the road, you can actually still go to the beach and swim and still enjoy life, run around with your grandkids, take your grandkids surfing. You know, those are, those are the true – that's the true value in, in, in investing in what, what, what you're doing. Yeah, there's so much – so many people go wrong and we live in a culture. We just get whipped along with the cultural norm. Yeah. And the cultural norm – is to strive for materialism and success. And, and I, look, I, I stay with my middle-class American friends. I'm I just blown away how hard life is here. Uh, I mean, it's really hard to get kids into college and people have got two jobs and they're getting their freeway and a traffic jam. And, you know, there, there's a correlation between divorce rates and the hours of time you spend commuting. I mean, this life that we lead, we're just not meant to live like that. Sure. And you compare that to the people... And the mentawai, the shaman, who have the simple life. They have serious challenges, but they have this simple, happy life where they live to, all together and there's not this individualism. And, and they, they're, you know, they're teaching us what, how we should live. Yeah. How do you apply that to the Western world? And to, you know, how do, if you had to coach your middle-class American friends, you know, mm. what, what are the values that you share with them given your experiences with, the, with, the, with that culture? Well, this is the thing I come back to being mindful and, and meditation and mindfulness practice because mm-hmm. I think you it's unrealistic for us to expect us to live like them. Sure. So we have to be realistic and practical and pragmatic. But if you can get yourself into a state, a psychological state of flow and a mindfulness, then you can what happens when you've been meditating for a while is you see something happen, something really nasty happens or it's challenging or stressful, and you kind of, oh, there it, there it is. That happened. It happened. Yeah. And you see it from almost a dislocated point of view. And there'll be short-term stresses, and, the, and you know, you're human, so you're going to get the cortisol responses. But you get it in a different perspective. It doesn't have such a big impact in your life. Maybe. It does not. 
That's awesome. And, uh, and just by, by getting, you know, we've shown through meditation that the brain pathways of the, the us pathways grow and the me pathways actually come down a bit. So you see things from a wider perspective. Um, you have more compassion. You have more empathy and including for yourself. Yeah. And I would strong, I think it's the number one opportunity for people to have. And, you know, don't, again, don't start off trying to meditate 20 minutes twice a day, <laughs> five minutes. There's a good app called Headspace. Headspace. It okay. was designed very successful by a monk, um, but now he's probably extremely wealthy. Yeah. <laughs> so his problems, problems dealing with his money, but um, <laughs> it is good. Uh, I've got friends that have used it. I've had a look at it. Headspace will coach you. Through learning uh, how to meditate. Learning how to meditate. Awesome. Yeah, Very I think cool. it's 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 like five dollars a month. Or something. That's five dollars you'll probably ever spend, right there. I, I, right? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Dave. Lastly, let's talk about your daily routine. You know, one of the things I really, first of all, value about you is that you're a waterman. You're a surfer. You mm. love being in the water. You know, you you said to me yesterday, "No, I can't. I can't meet that early because I have to go in the water. Yeah. There's no waves today. I know that. <laughs> so you know, obviously, surfing is much more. It's much. It's not just about being on the board. It's the whole embodiment of that culture, that spirit that, that you are passionate about. Tell us about your daily routine, how you stay fit and healthy nowadays. Well, um, my daily routine starts with service. Awesome. The alarm will go off at 5 o'clock and um, my beautiful partner will lie in bed while I make her the best, we call it the best coffee in the world. Tell us about the best <laughs> coffee in the world. She likes it, but she's very particular the way she likes her coffee, how it's frothed, how it's made. So I'll make her a, a soy flat white. We've got a little Italian espresso machine. Awesome. I'll have a, a black coffee. And um, have a glass of water and some lemon juice. And um, I, do, I call it Koga. Koga. So coffee yoga. <laughs> so I'll um, bring her coffee in bed. And, um, and she'll, she, she sort of, we laugh because she's, uh, she's usually last to get ready to go surfing. So yeah. I've said, you could get out of bed and do your stretches first, sweetheart. But she's, she's lying in bed drinking her coffee. She says, I'm stretching, I'm stretching. <laughs> but um, we'll go for a surf, not every morning if, um, if we've got something on, but most mornings we will get up and get into the ocean. What's your local spot right now? What's your Oh, uh, well right now it's swell time in Bali. The surf's big often, so oh, it man. depends, but we'll go we we love uh, surf impossibles in in Bali and if not we'll go to temples or depending on the the tide and yeah. wind directions. So there's a sure. bunch of spots we'll go to. Um yeah, we'll have a we'll be the first to paddle out and um, we'll grab a few waves. We, we're not kind of greedy or hungry. We just love being out there sure. and um, with the sun coming up. And, and we'll just have a few waves and then go home. And then we'll get into work. You know, we're passionate about we do, what we do. It might be some surf aid work. Um, it might be some of our other, the more model work. Mm -hmm. And um, we'll, we'll come together and with our diaries and discuss what we want to try and achieve today. And we keep each other honest because we both get, can get distracted we're both interested in a lot of things so we have what we call mickey days okay and we'll we'll um she's she's much more disciplined than me so she, she'll uh we'll say right we're doing this doing this and doing that and we'll we'll get to it and, and she's um, from where she's a american well she's both american and uh and australian okay and she's a nutritionist nutritionist and study. clinical hypnotherapist wow 
Mm. Very cool. Yeah. So what she's a, cool, a big part of what uh, a power couple in a sense. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so so we're getting on with designing. Um, we'll be launching a portal soon online with a joint venture with a publishing company. Awesome. And we're very interested in saving your brain. We're doing a saving a brain program. They've reversed the first Alzheimer's cases in California. Actually, wow. Professor um, Dale Bredesen at, okay. at uh, UCLA. Wow. And so that's the first ever recorded cases of early Alzheimer's. You've yeah. got to get it early. Um, so we've become, with both my parents suffering early Alzheimer's, we've become pretty focused on on people's brains. Brain if you health. don't have your brain health, you don't have anything. Yeah. Um, so we're, we're working. That's, that's quite comprehensive, um, and you will need a lot of coaching. Yeah. People, you know, if you've if you've got cognitive decline and your brain's starting to go, do not wait. Yeah. Do not wait. Please go and get some help. And there is the new science is showing by again synergizing intense exercise with some fasting, some coconut oil, some su- some really good supplements like alpha acetylcarnitine, um, uh, melatonin for sleep, mm-hmm. getting good sleep. Um, following his protocol and some new sciences out there as well, you can save your brain. So yeah. we're very passionate about that. We speak next week, actually. At the end of next week, we're going as visiting gurus. We'll be talking about saving your brain. So we'll be launching that um, sometime you'll, in the next week. You'll season. be speaking where? Uh, at uh, Nihawatu, awesome. actually, uh, the resort in Sumba. Cool. So we'll be speaking on good nutrition, our more model, and saving your brain. What is your opinion or philosophy on good nutrition? I know you have a nutritionist partner, and um, you've gone through some pretty drastic lifestyle change. How do you eat, and what, what do you recommend to your clients and patients? Um, well, I, I am a great believer in um, mixing it up, um, but, but basically the science is clear. It's plant-based. You've got to have a plant-based diet, and if you want optimal health, um, you've got to have some good fats, too so i eat a lot of avocados and um coconut oil good olive oil and it's quality as well not just you know be careful in america about the olive oil you buy tell us about that well a lot of it's got canola oil and if it's a lot of it's old um you know the the nutrients the phytonutrients in olive oil uh, they decay over time. Do you have any recommendations where an American can find some good olive uh, oil? Yes. Now I can't give you the exact details, but there are all, there is one organization who um, certify the olive oil directly from Europe and Italy, and guarantee it's on the shelf within six months of the of the olives being picked. We will find that and follow up with Dave and get you guys the exact link to that because that that is huge and that's something that I've heard about several times here is mm. is the quality of our olive oil here is just is yeah. the shit. Really be careful for, about be, be careful about the quality of all your food. Sure, you know the the big thing is the soil has been depleted of nutrients. Mm-hmm. And so you've got to replace those nutrients. Like 70% of Americans are uh, magnesium deficient. Yeah. We need that for at least 300 key processes in the body. One of which is sleep, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, magnesium 3 and 8 is what's part of the protocol to reverse Alzheimer's disease. Wow. There's a good study on that. So you need magnesium. So a plant-based diet, I have a little bit of meat and fish. Sure. Um, but not a lot. Sure. And um, certainly, get yeah, a good quality. No, I don't do, eat farmed fish, or very rarely, and I don't like the way you breed your beef here. It's got to be grass-fed beef. If you look at the omega six levels of your um, your CAFO, they call them. You know the way the meat is grown here. It, it's, it's horrible. It's clear. It's not good for you. Um, every now and then, 
you know, not so bad. But um, so I don't want to get obsessive about my diet, but I also am into fasting. I won't eat. I will have an 18-hour fast today. I think the science on fasting is is that some I've read a lot about intermittent fasting. Yeah, is that's that what, what I practice. Yeah, cool. and and again, I notice if I haven't had sleep, I need breakfast. Sure, but if I've had a good sleep, I okay. will will fast so that I've had at least uh, sixteen hours from the last meal. How often do you do that? Oh, quite often, yeah. f- four times a week. Wow. Um, just depending on you How know, you and I'm not obsessive about sure. it. Sure, you know, just whatever you feel I've just that learned day. that I'm I'll never be overweight for the rest of my life, yeah. and um, I've got something that I can sustain a program. And I think that's the key is finding what works best for you. You know, I everyone I meet, they want the recipe, they want the book, they want the guide on how do I do this. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, just like your story, it's about self-experimentation and biohacking yourself and figuring out what's going to work best for you. There's no one recipe, one diet, one workout routine that's going to work for everyone, you know, and even one that works for you now, you know, in five years, 10 years, you might want to shift it and try something else. And I think having that flexibility and having that open-mindedness is really key. If you want to learn more about SurfAid, SurfAid.org is the website. Check it out. There's some awesome videos all over the internet about Dr. Dave and what he's doing. Uh, there's a great TEDx one. TheMoreModel.com and DrDaveJenkins.com are the other websites to learn more a little bit about his work outside of SurfAid. Dave, I really just want to thank you for giving me this opportunity to sit with you. I know our listeners and our clients are going to be stoked at this, and and this is a, a very powerful powerful thing you're doing and i'm honored to be sitting here with you oh well, thank you for the opportunity and i yeah i hope people log on to surfaid.org and find out a little more about us and you know i think of the, the take-home messages is you get what you give you get what you give and and do something that matters i think is the other take-home message you know when you wake up in the morning and when you go to work in the morning make sure that at the end of the day when you put your head on the pillow you you feel like you're doing something that matters for yourself and and for your communities yeah. Yep. Dave, have a great trip. I know you're headed back to Indonesia here soon. I'm a little envious, but I'm sure I'll, <laughs> I'll meet you out there for a surf one of these days. And uh, again, enjoy your trip to uh, San Diego. I think you said you're headed up to Orange County later today. Yeah, we're going up to see our friends at Surfline who have been big supporters of ours. And, and then tonight, I'm actually talking at San Diego Surf Shop in Carlsberg. At you can come along if you'd like. Um, San Diego and Carlsbad. Yeah. Very cool. What time is that? So that'll be starting off at around 6 o'clock. 6 o'clock. Dave, have a great day. Have a great rest of your trip, and uh, we will definitely be in touch soon. All right. Thank you, Carlos. Thank you. This is The Me Project, weekly discussions with leaders in the wellness community. Visit us online at themeproject.life.